Hey guys, welcome back to the OPD podcast. Joe is out sick today, but we do have a guest on, so you guys don't have to listen to me talk by myself. That'd be weird. Um, today, we're going to have on Ben Hartman. Uh, ben is the owner of Morphogen Nutrition here in the U.S. A lot of you guys, I'm sure, have probably heard of him or heard of the company. And we're going to talk about mostly supplement industry stuff. Um, maybe a little bit, we tend to get off track, so probably other things too. But uh, we want to talk about some of the back-end stuff in the supplement uh, industry in terms of, you know, you guys know all about labeling and full disclosure and things like that. But we want to talk maybe a little bit about what goes into actually making a good supplement and things that people don't necessarily take into consideration when they buy products. Uh, so you guys as consumers know what you're actually getting when you buy something. So Ben, before we do that, uh, intro yourself, you know, give them a little bit of background, uh, talk about the company a little bit. So everyone that doesn't know you can be briefed on things. Yeah. Uh, so let's see a uh, little bit of background. I have a, a bachelor's of science degree in exercise physiology, a master's of science in nutrition and dietetics with a uh, special research emphasis in sports nutrition and supplementation. Uh, I've been the owner of Morphogen Nutrition for just over eight years. Before that, I was a sponsored athlete with a pretty major company and uh, for a number of years and competed and uh, did, you know, worked the booth at the Arnold and, and did photo shoots and all that stuff for that company for a long time. Uh, so I've basically been in the industry for many, many years, uh, going on almost 20 years uh, doing various things. Um, Morphogen was founded upon the principles of making basically uh, fully dosed, fully transparent, research-supported products, and then selling them direct to the consumer at a fair price. That way, you don't have to cut in middlemen. So there's no sales reps, there's no distribution, there's no stores. So instead of making a cheap, middle-of-the-road product, and then selling it to a distributor, to a store, to a consumer, we make a vastly superior product and then just sell it direct to the consumer. So they're getting a much better product for a similar price point. And we're just cutting out all those other people. Right, exactly. And yeah, I mean, and that's little things that people don't consider, like the more hands something passes through, obviously, uh, it's either going to A, cost a lot more, or B, it's, if it doesn't cost more, then there's a reason that it doesn't cost more because yep. the ingredients that are in it um, obviously um, don't, you know, aren't expensive because I mean, let's face it, there's, and you'd know this better than me, but I know we've talked about it. There's only so many manufacturers of ingredients and you know, when you're getting a quality ingredient, whether it's patented or just a high end ingredient, I mean, it's going to cost, it's going to cost you the same as someone else within reason, you know, obviously like the amounts that you purchase and stuff is going to make a difference, but you yeah. know, it's not like somebody's going to get something for a dollar that costs you $15. Correct. You know? yeah. So you can only like, you can only make something so cheap and still have a margin. Um, yeah. Cause I, I think, and that can kind of segue us into one of the topics is I think I saw, the other day, you know, when I see something that's like, oh, 50% off plus use a client, you know, use a code that's 20% off. And it's like, yep. All right. <laughs> how, yeah. much, how much did it cost you to make this? Uh, well, and the funny thing is, is, so products like that, it's all based on markup, 
So it, it's irrelevant what it costs to make the product, but the fact of the matter is there's no way that they could do that unless the markup was insane. And granted, they might not be selling it for that discounted price all the time, but they're not going to run these specials and lose money on this. The goal is obviously to reach new people and have new, new customer acquisition, but they're not going to do this at their own expense and go into the red because of it. So if a company is selling a product for, let's say, $60 and you buy one, you get the second one for $30, that's 90 bucks for two, and you get 20% off using an athlete's discount code. So now you're down to, you know, 70 bucks, but then that athlete's getting a $20 kickback. So now it's down to, you know, their return on those two tubs is 50 bucks. And that means each tub, their return is $25. It's probably only costing them $5 to make right. at that point. It, um, and that's kind of the best case scenario, maybe five to 10 bucks to make, but that, you know, and th these are companies that are doing this at like a $60 price point. Can you imagine how much of a markup somebody's getting if they're doing that with a product that costs 35 or $40 that product might only cost $3 to make. Right. Uh, it, and like you said, like the raws that are available to everybody for the most part, all come from the same general places. And for the most part cost the same general amount of money within a small margin. So it's not like they have some magic buying power that, you know, it cost me $20 to make and it cost them $3 to make. That's not a thing. That's not possible. So there, there's always something a little fishy going on. If there's, 30% athlete codes all the time, BOGOs all the time, end of month sales, uh, huge Black Friday deals, you know, package deals where it's like buy, buy these two products, get these two ones free or get an add-on product free. Like there's no way that a company like us could do that because our products are so expensive to make. And yeah, we could sell them for a higher price point because to be frank, they are worth a higher price point. But if we sell them for a fair price point, uh, you know, that's competitive with the other companies, but we're selling a much better product. We're going to reach people who value what we do. The market or, you know, the margin comes back to us. They get a better product and ultimately it spreads the brand on its own without us having to buy into things with a marketing plan or force our way into the industry or, uh, you know, nickel and dime people to get on store shelves. So we don't have to even follow that sort of business model to be a successful company. Right. Yeah. Cause you're, you're not, you know, you're not making something appear better than it is. I mean, not that, no, they're great products, but my point is like, you're not making something $80 when you could make it 50 just to be able to discount it later. Absolutely. You know? Well, and you see that now is, is, you know, some of these companies popping up are billing their products as ultra premium clinical dosing, third party tested, all these buzzwords. Right. Um, and no, most consumers don't do enough digging into that to find out if any of that's valid. And, you know, you, you throw some discount codes at a ton of high name athletes and they get 20% commission in a paycheck. I'm telling you right now, if you're, if you're a big name athlete and you have 50,000 or a hundred thousand or a million followers on Instagram, and you're getting 20% of every unit sold as a check, I don't care what the product is. You will promote dog shit for that much money. Right. I mean, even a $40 product at a 20% kickback, can you imagine making eight to $10 on every single product that is sold under your code across the country or across the world? 
of course you're going to promote that. Of course you are. And, and I don't blame them for that. It's business and you have to pay your bills somehow. Um, that's not my style. I know that's not your style, but it, that exists. But nobody looks into those sorts of things and say, wow, you know, they say clinical dosing. Okay, so go look into those ingredients and tell me if it's actually full clinical dosing. Because the thing is, is you could bastardize that and be like, oh, you know, clinical dosing at one gram. Well, the research shows one to three grams. So yeah, I mean, technically they're clinical because they're in that range. But why don't they use three grams? If three grams is shown to be better than one gram, even though it's all technically clinical, the reason that they're not using three is profit, period. Right. Period. Um, and it allows them to you know, claim clinical dosing and allows them to build their products as ultra premium, you know, super special stuff. And then they charge a huge price point and then they charge shipping on top of that. And they're very, it's very easy for them to say, okay, we have a new product coming out. You get a free bottle of this every time, you know, for the first thousand people that buy this. And then next month there's a buy one, get one 50% off, or there's a complete BOGO. And then athletes with 20 to 30% off discount codes. There's no way that a business like that is sustainable unless the markup is astronomically high, regardless of the quality of the actual product. So as a consumer, you have to ask yourself, if a company is doing these sorts of things, even if it is top quality products, the, the everyday price that they're selling it for is inflated to a degree that doesn't make sense. And they're doing it for one of two reasons. One, it's artificial inflation um, so that they can have these sales and these BOGOs and these discount codes and it doesn't cut into their bottom line. The second reason is that if they're trying to get their brand into any sort of distribution and sell it at stores, the stores want to sell it for cheaper than, as, than what's marketed on the website of the company. Otherwise, nobody's going to go to the store. So if you know the store is going to sell it for less than you and they expect to make a certain margin, you automatically have to raise your price point on your site even higher to account for the stores selling your product. All of that is how most of this industry works, most of it. So very traditional, you'll get a, a company that uh, spends $5 to make a product. They sell it to a distributor for 10, who sells it to a retailer for 20, who sells it to the consumer for 40. And then that company on their website might sell it for 60. And then you know you have discounts and BOGOs and things like that. Right. A $60 price point on a $5 product to make. Or 40 or $45 in a store for a $5 product to make, but you got to pay the sales reps and you got to pay the distribution reps and you got to pay the store owners and you got to pay all these change of hands. Like you said, there's so many hands in the pot that it, it changes the game a little bit. And I, from day one, I said, let's do something totally different. What happens if I make a product arbitrary numbers? What if happens if I make a product that costs $20 to make instead of five? I can't sell that $20 product to a distributor for 20 or $25, they're not going to buy it. And they're not going to sell it to the store for $30 because they're not going to buy it. And they're not going to sell it to the consumer for $70 because they're not going to buy it. But I can sell it to the consumer directly and turn that margin back into growth of the company. And then I'm not scamming the consumer. And so we've done our business completely differently than everybody else for the last eight years. And for the first five or so of those years, everybody in the industry that I know all the store owners, all the brand owners, all the everybody told me everything I was doing was wrong. This is not how it's done. You know, we don't charge shipping and handling in the United States. We don't over mark up our products. We don't have BOGOs. We don't have crazy sales. We don't have 20 to 30% off athlete codes. We don't have all these things. And everybody goes, bro, that's not how it's done. I said, yeah, but I, 
I don't want to do what those companies are doing and making a middle of the road product and then worrying about all this, you know, money and business and, you know, numbers and, and the things that are most important to, to a traditional business. My, my goal and the thing most important to me is the quality of the product, the completeness of the formula and the impact that it has on the consumer. And the only way to do that, in my opinion, is to make a superior product and then to sell it to the consumer for a price that is affordable, but still reflective of the quality of the product without scamming them, without marking things up, without selling it to a store or a sales rep or all these people. Yeah. Yeah. And we, and we talk about this, you know, often about how, there are people being, you know, there are people falling into these traps, but as a whole, consumers are getting smarter and I think they will continue to get smarter. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the funny thing is, so this industry is a multi-billion dollar industry and it's, it's this giant pie, right? It's a pie chart. As the industry gets bigger, the teeny, teeny little sliver of this pie that is a highly motivated, highly educated consumer, that, that amount of people grows as a whole it might not be a higher percentage but that number is still growing there's a lot more informed consumers there's a lot more consumers who are tired of getting scammed who are tired of paying ridiculous prices who are tired of getting underdosed products or products made in non-compliant facilities or products with tainted ingredients or pseudo legal ingredients that get banned or you know present dangers to the consumer and there are so many more people uh who are, who are, like I said, self-motivated, self-educated, um, and they're sick of the bullshit basically. And it's, that population is growing and it's, it's cool for us because we've been doing this for so long, but it's just now becoming a thing where a lot more companies are starting to kind of catch on to that. Mm-hmm. And we've been doing it this whole time. And so we're in a unique position that not only do we have the experience of doing this, but we have the brand awareness, the brand loyalty, we have the capital involved that we can expand the line and offer pretty much everything to every, you know, within reason to pretty much every type of consumer where companies now are starting to jump on that, that bandwagon and they don't have the the reach. They don't have the full lineup of products. Uh, And so some of these companies are forced to, you know, push their way into the industry with marketing, you know, excessive marketing that costs money. And so then their products get bumped up and then it kind of, puts them in a weird position where they're not a company like mine, but they're not a company like a traditional distribution company. And they're somewhere floating around in the middle. And that's a weird, that's a weird wheelhouse, you know, to be stuck in. Um, and it's not ultimately as, as good to the consumer because the consumers either want to be the person that goes and buys a middle of the road product from a store and it's convenient and it's emotionally driven, or they want to be an educated, intrinsically motivated consumer who buys the best product at the best dollar value for what they're doing. And the companies that are kind of hovering between those two business models are doing all the consumers a disservice. Yeah. And, and like you said, and, and another thing too, is I think, you know, once you build a rapport with people and they come to kind of figure out what your brand's all about, it's just like anything else. People dig themselves, the company dig themselves into a big hole and then they all of a sudden flip the script and people are going to wonder, well, well, what were you doing to me for the last five years? Were you Absolutely. scamming Absolutely. You know, it's like, were you scamming me and selling me bullshit or were you marking it up or what was the deal? So why And I'm, I'm why happy now? that companies are at least taking note to these sorts of things and making changes. It's still going in a positive direction. 
but it's the same thing. Some of these companies that have had horrible business models, hidden blends of bullshit, you know, formulas, bullshit ingredients, you know, whatever are now starting to do things more of the correct way. But it's like, you guys have been fucking people over for 10 years and now you're going to change and claim to be this credible, you know, consumer driven company with integrity. And now we're supposed to trust that your dosing is accurate. And now we're supposed to trust that the pricing is fair. And now we're supposed to trust the claims that you're making. I don't buy it. Yeah. It, yeah. It's hard because they kind of already burned that bridge and uh, you know, it's going to be hard for, and plus, you know, you want to, you want to also look at the character who you're buying from Yeah. You're buying a bottle of a supplement with pills or powder in it. I get that. But at the same time, personally, and whether it's you or anyone else, like I really don't want to give money to, you know, somebody that I think is a complete shit bag of a person. You Absolutely. Know? So, and that's, that's just in general, that's just always been, that's just always kind of how my, how my mind works, whether it's like supporting small businesses or, or whatever. I mean, well, it's, it's integrity. It's integrity. Right. It's what you value as a person and the type of people that you want to align with. And yeah. I, I've always been of the opinion that if, uh, if something seems shady or has been proven to be a little off, how can you trust anything else related to that? It, it you know, it's like, you might have, a a shady person who starts a company and the company looks great and the products look great. But how can you, how do you know this person has a reputation for scamming people and now they've changed their tune and released this credible, awesome new thing. How do you fucking know? You don't know. Why would you even trust a situation like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly it. Um, okay, cool. So now people know, <laughs> now people have a good idea of business models. I definitely wanted to talk about that. Um, I also, I also wanted to talk a little bit about, um, just maybe some of the difficulties in product manufacturing, like, um, in terms of cost, in terms of actually, you know what, one, here's a really good one, uh, that, and this is kind of, this is kind of really, uh, specific, but I got asked about this the other day and I know we have specifically talked about it. Um, flavoring. All right. When you're talking about powdered products. So there's been a couple, there's been a couple things that people have mentioned to me that have tasted, you know, like there's nothing in it, you know, no, no aftertaste, no, no, whatever. Um, and I know for a fact, and obviously, you know, there are certain ingredients that are nearly impossible to flavor to an yep. extent, like when they, when they're obviously when they're dosed, um, up to a clinical dosing, you know, if you put properly, you correct, in, yeah, right. You sprinkle in 10 milligrams of something, it's not going to taste like anything, but you know, we're talking about gram dosages of certain things and why that would affect flavor and consistency of a product. Because again, same as manufacturing, a lot of people are using similar flavoring systems as well, you know, from similar companies, I assume, you know, so what, uh, what are some things to look for? when it comes to that, is there anything that jumps out at you? Um, I mean, honestly, if anything seems too good to be true, um, in terms of flavoring, it's a little difficult because if you've never tested or, uh, if you've never tried a raw by itself, 
in in the right dose, then how do you know that it's supposed to taste bad at that dose? Right. You know what I mean? Like various amino acids taste like absolute death. And the flavoring companies have gotten really good at masking some of those. But there are some things like Pico 2 is a mushroom blend and it tastes very earthy. Uh, it smells very earthy. It's brown. It's not great. And it's not easy to flavor and you, it's not easy to color. Um, if a product claims to have that in there and it tastes like Kool-Aid, a red flag should be raised that something's, something's awry here. If they claim that there's the two gram full clinical dose in there and, and it's delicious and it's super, you know, see-through liquid and all this stuff, I, I'm not buying it because even a gram of that in there is going to muddy up the entire shaker full of water, all of it. And that's, and you can't get around that. Right. For the most part, uh, some ingredients are super gritty and they don't dissolve in solution. So, uh, I, I mean, one example is greens products. They're always going to be gritty no matter what. So if you have a greens powder that is a teeny little scoop and it's super flavorful and nice and thin and you, you can taste a little bit of the grit, but for the most part, it's a, an enjoyable sort of drink. It's probably not dosed high enough to have any sort of beneficial physiological effect. Okay, here we go. Yeah, this is one I wanted to, this is very specific, but let's, let's talk a second about greens powders. <laughs> uh, <laughs> good old greens. Yeah, this is a good one because it's a, obviously a popular, a popular subcategory, I guess, because, you know, everyone's extremely health driven now, which is great. It's, you know, it's a good thing, but first off, your greens powders are dehydrated. So, you know, you're going to get a little bit more, you're, you're going to get more yield than if you were eating like a, a vegetable because they have high water content. Of course. But at the same time, uh, there are some companies that have pretty small scoops or even capsulated greens. And yep. at which point, you know, and I've seen several of them popping around, um, at which point, you know, here's another red flag. Like, what are you actually getting as a consumer? Um, how much, how much vegetables and fruits can you fit into a capsule? Or yeah. So we, we just released a chart on that comparing our Neutrogen Greens product to a number of other products on the market, uh, kind of ambiguously. And here's the thing. So in best case scenario, a vegetable item, a green item, best case scenario, you can dehydrate it down about 90%, maybe 95%. And this is best case scenario. So this means if you have, let's say three and a half ounces of broccoli, which is about a hundred grams. Okay. You dehydrate it down, you make it into broccoli powder. If you're lucky, you have five to 10 grams of broccoli powder sitting there. So if you're buying a greens product that let's say the serving size is three grams or four grams of total greens with like 30 different greens on there. First of all, you're only getting <laughs> at best like 100, 200, 300 milligrams of every single you know, individual vegetable. But even if that was all just one, okay, you're getting three, you know, three grams at best. That means you're you're probably only getting maybe an ounce and a half of like raw weight of that good. And if it costs a dollar or even $2 for an ounce or an ounce and a half, you can go to the grocery store and buy a 16 ounce bag of vegetables for a dollar or two bucks at most. So you're literally spending 10, more than 10 times the amount of money 
for such an insignificant amount of actual vegetable matter that one, it's not going to do almost anything in your body that's beneficial. The amount of trace nutrients are, are negligible at best. Um, and then you're spending money on it that's wasteful. So if you're going to do a greens, that's why we did Nutrigen. It's a huge amount of total greens, but it's not 30 different vegetable extracts or 40 you know, right. hidden ambiguously in a blend, right. it's seven. And we picked seven that are vastly different from each other that have a wide range of nutritional value. And we put in a large enough gram quantity dose that each vegetable on its own has some uh, reliable physiological benefits to that. And then we added other things to the formula to make it a very complete, well-rounded, not just a greens formula. But if you're paying a buck or two bucks a serving for uh, two or three grams of greens, whether or not that's in capsules or a teeny little scoop of a product, it's absolutely not going to do anything in your body. I mean, you'd have to take 10 servings a day and you're not going to spend 20 bucks a day on veggie caps. I mean, you shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't. I, mean, I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny because you, you can, uh, you can relate that back to pre-workouts. So I, I'm sure you remember, cause you've been around forever with originally pre-workouts started with large scoops. Now, a lot of them had carbohydrates in them though. You know what I mean? So like that, like the multidextrin and dextrose and stuff filled course, up. Yeah. It wasn't like they were clinically dosing everything. It was just that they had a larger scoop. But then the, and then the emergence of ultra concentrated <laughs> scoops, like the most ridiculous, hilarious thing ever was the ultra concentrated scoop that was like four to six grams for, you know, 10 to whatever ingredients on the label. Um, and now we're back to large, I'd say larger scoops again, you know, so looking at, looking at serving sizes and looking at scoop sizes, um, that's, you know, that's another really easy thing if you're worried about, especially if you're worried about proprietary blends, you know, Hey, just don't buy a proprietary blend in the first place. I absolutely. I mean, that's the That'd first, your first I mean, or, one. If, don't, yeah. Don't buy a pro blend. I mean, it, you absolutely don't. have no clue what you're getting in the scoop. I have absolutely no faith in any company that's hiding their mix in a blend. And they'll usually say something like, well, we're, you know, we're protecting our intellectual property. We're protecting our formula. Right. The thing is this, all these ingredients have a pretty good amount of it information available on what right. the dosing should be right? right so it's not like they're inventing something new that's inaccessible to the to the populace um so hiding all that isn't beneficial to them anyways because if you're using clinical dosing everybody's going to use the same dose or they should be right so the only reason that they're doing that is to hide those doses in a mix of stuff so that the consumer has no idea and they can just claim that the synergy of ingredients is effective or that the totality of the formula is effective. When in reality, you have no clue what you're actually getting. Only one thing in there might be dosed properly and that's best case scenario. So if you're looking at, uh, again, you know, clinical dosing, if something says one to three grams and a company does one gram, I suppose that's better than you know, 10 milligrams, but it's still not a complete dose. And then if you have, 10 of these ingredients in a scoop that's only five grams, do some math. Even if they're all equal, you're at best getting half a gram of every ingredient. And that's at best. 
right. and no matter what, every single ingredient in there is useless. Yeah, I mean, because you can more or less, for the most part, jump on a resource like examine.com or something like that. And the information is so readily right. available everywhere. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like you said, there's, there tends to be a trend towards a more educated consumer, which is awesome. Um, and a, lar- a lot of that is social media and technology driven. We have access to more stuff, more people, faster, better. Um, so at this point, there's no excuse to not be able to cross check. I mean, it, you're spending money on something that you're going to put in your body. You can take 10 minutes before you do that and look up those 10 ingredients and just make sure that it looks, that it makes sense. And I would say, take that a step further. If the company is not providing that information themselves, why are they not educating their consumer? Cause they don't want an educated consumer. They yep. want a naive, uh, you know, ignorant consumer who is emotionally driven and falls for marketing campaigns. And that's what they want. That's who they want to be their person. And there's a huge, that's most of the industry and that's business and that's fine. People can do what they want, but that's not my part of the business. That's not my part of the industry. Those aren't the consumers that I'm interested in reaching. And so I don't like it, but what they do doesn't affect me, but I would urge consumers to take a few extra minutes contact the company, look up on, you know, stuff on their website, cross-check it with Examine or a few other sites. I mean, the information takes minutes to find. Yeah, you you beautifully summed it up there in that there's literally, there's very little middle ground in the type of consumer that the companies are trying to reach. It's either, it's either the educated consumer that, of course, if you have a good product, you're going to brag about it. And you're going to say, this is what's in it. You know, our product's awesome. It has this, this, and this at clinical dose. And then the opposite end is the, you know, kind of the, well, we don't want them to know anything so we can, we can, you know, attract the uneducated consumer. And then you do have a little bit of that middle ground where they're, they're like, yeah, we have high grade ingredients at clinical doses, but you really aren't quite sure what it is, or you're really not or the price point is, you know, wrong. Like we said, like it's just ultra inflated or, or whatever, but that middle ground, there's not a lot in that middle ground. It's usually kind of one or the other on one end or the other. Um, and you'll, you'll notice too, you know, you'll notice too, like the more educated consumer, those type of companies, I mean, they're a little more niche because at you, like we said, people are becoming more educated, but most of those people fall into the very extreme side of the fitness industry, like your average Joe Schmo isn't going to really know about, they're going to fall into marketing traps. Absolutely. Absolutely. 99% of the time, because that's just a typical human, you know, mindset. If something sounds good and it'll help me and I don't have to do that much work, then that's great. You know, whatever catch words they want to use or claims they want to give it or whatever. But it's, you know, I, I'm, t- I'll, I'll be honest, like I, I run into, cause I work with a lot of gen pop clients as well. And I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised a lot of the times, like within the last couple of years, like people are pretty, there is a lot more educated, you know, people coming to me than there were five years ago, even. And they know, I mean, they know some of these things and I'm kind of, I'm more impressed with what people know. So I, like I said, I think it'll keep, it'll keep trending in that direction. I mean, you're never going to, not everyone's going to be smart. You know what? The thing is, 
the, the problem is too, it's not even just that. It's that it's that people are emotionally driven. Like you said, that's part of the issue. You know, it's not, it's not that they couldn't, they aren't capable of researching and understanding. It's just that they don't want to because they, they don't use logic for decision-making. It's just too, it's too emotionally driven. So whether it's like the label of the product or whether it's the words that they use on the label or whether it's, Hey, whether it's the, the athletes that hold the product in the photo, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. think, holy shit, come on. You can't see past <laughs> the fact that someone's holding that just because the person holding the fucking product is Jack, that, that doesn't mean anything, <laughs> you know, it's, that's like one of the oldest like forms of marketing ever. Is, I, you know, it's like using a celebrity to, you know, or an athlete. I mean, how many athletes have never done anything with a company and then all of a sudden they're promoting some random sports drink? It's no different in the supplement industry. You have some athlete and then all of a sudden here's this tub of something. By the way, use my code and I get paid 30% of what you pay. <laughs> I mean, come on. Why are people even falling for this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. It And Right. Uh, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's awesome like to have athletes and stuff work for a company and promote a company. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but again, no, no, no. again, like look at the integrity of the person promoting and look at the integrity of the company and just start adding, you can add up, you know, one plus one and figure out w where things are headed. You know, if yeah. it's not, it's not rocket science. If you sit back and look at it, it's just that I don't know that people really take enough time to, um, to pick through that stuff, but you know, Hey, like I said, can't, you can't save everybody. No. And, and some people do, and there's more of that out there, which is great. And a lot of people don't, and you know, you can't reach everybody. I mean, I I've had a number of people over the years that say, you know, why don't you create a product that's more, uh, you know, middle of the road, a collegiate line, or why don't you do this and try to reach those people? Cause those aren't my people. And they go, yeah, but you're missing out on an entire demographic of people that spend money. I said, yes, but those are not the people that my business is designed around. I can't, I can't create my company for everybody. Right. I just can't. And so if I focus on the people that value the education that are, like I said, self-motivated, self-educated, that value the full dosing, the affordability of the products, um, you know, the integrity of the company, the way that we run things, then that that's my little teeny slice of the pie. And I don't have to bend to the other giant hunk of the pie because that's not who I am. That's not what we do. Yeah. And it's hard when you, you run into that too, because it's somebody asking you to form a line for maybe more general population. Essentially what they're asking you is to form a lesser quality product. That's going to be cheaper. Correct. And that's exactly what it is. And yeah. the thing is, is because most of the industry is that even if I wanted to do that, which I don't, that, that is so that's greater than 99% of the entire industry. Why would I want to jump into such a saturated market of mediocre companies and mediocre products and just get lost in a sea of bullshit? Why would I even want to do that? Yeah. And I, I relate the same thing to my coaching now because you coaching is very saturated. There's a million coaches, but it's, you have to offer some kind of value. You know, I'm not gonna, 
I would much rather be a higher price point or a, you know, at least middle of the road to higher price point, but offer superior quality because dude, there you can go on Google and get a freaking macro calculator app. You know what I mean? Like that's, if you're trying to push that as part of your coaching service, it's ridiculous. It's not, you know, that stuff's out there already. You know, you can, you can go on there and figure out a basic, you know, periodization plan for training stuff. It's not hard. So there's got to be something beyond that. And I think it's, I literally, I think it's going to be the same way for supplements. I mean, you're going to have to, you will have to stand out. And, and the more we lean in that direction, especially in your niche group of uh, athletes and, and competitors and things like that, you're, you're already going to be ahead of the curve. I mean, you are already ahead of the curve, but of course you'll continue to be ahead of the curve. Um, when more and more people head in that direction, you'll have all the momentum. So yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's, and that's how any industry works. I mean, look at, uh, I mean, look at cars, a large majority, 75% of the population drives an average car. And these average cars are good, but they're not perfect and they're not optimal and they break down, but they're affordable for a majority of people. And then you have the bottom of the barrel, the used, the crappy, you know, whatever. And those are the people that can't afford the middle of the road stuff. But at the higher end of the range, you have luxury vehicles, you have sports cars, you have these sorts of things. Those luxury vehicles and those sports cars, especially when you get way, way up, they're not going to make like a shitty version of a Ferrari for the guy that can only afford a $30,000 car, right? No. Certainly not going to make an even shittier version of a Ferrari for the guy that can afford a $6,000 car. Why would they do that? That's not their market at all. And somebody could go, hey, Ferrari, you're missing out on 80% of the population. They all buy cars. Why don't you make a bunch of shitty Ferrari cars? Well, that's not who Ferrari is. That's not their market. They're not making, you know, Toyota Corollas. They, and even if they wanted to, they can't compete on that market with all the Toyota Corollas and the Honda Civics and the, you know, the, the whatever. I don't even know what other cars there are. Um, so I, the way that I look at, at us is the people that value a more optimal approach, a little bit more quality, a little bit uh, better designed good. And they, and that's who they are. That's how it fits into their life. Then they're going to fit into that business model of that company. And they're so separated from the rest of the masses that it, it doesn't even matter what the rest of the masses do because it doesn't affect, you know, that top 20% of, of those sorts of people. And that could go with any industry. And so I, I think that we're definitely in that top niche. I mean, way, way up there. The main difference is that because I'm not cutting in, again, I'm not cutting in all these different people, I can sell that good at a cost that is affordable to a maybe 50% of people instead of the top 10%. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not selling stuff for 70 bucks a tub. I'm selling them for 48, but don't forget free shipping, you know, and, and how much is shipping for most companies? Seven, eight bucks. So yeah. after that, and you're paying 40 bucks for a premium good that's designed to last a month, you're spending a whopping dollar 30 a day on a premium good. That's fully dosed. That has no holes. Uh, has a very complete formula and everything is, you know, backed up by really credible evidence and information and we educate and we have all that broken down on the site. And now it's a business model that is vastly different than even another premium brand because we're not, because we're doing things so differently. 
Well, if you, in terms of, in terms of like how, how you can stand out, you know, if you are, if you are in that more saturated, lesser quality, cheaper market, you almost have to have quantity. You almost have to have just marketing and a marketing budget and um, quantity that allows you to make stuff even cheaper. You know, and that's my, and that's most of it. Right, exactly. And now on on this end of the side, when you're getting into the quality product, I love I love your Ferrari reference because if anything, they just make their cars more expensive all the time because they don't give a shit how much it costs. They want to make it the best they possibly can. You know what I mean? So when they know that the people that are going to buy them are going to buy them because of what they are and what they represent, and they'll figure out a way to budget in there. Right. Uh, it would be as if, you know, let's say a Ferrari is a hundred grand. I don't, I have no idea, but let's say for more than that, I'm sure, but okay. I'm sure. Let's, <laughs> say, let's say they're a hundred grand, right? Let's say Ferrari brought their, their price down to 85 grand. They're going to sell twice as many Ferraris to that many more people who can possibly afford that 80 or 85 grand price tag. That's essentially what we've done because we don't have um, the pressure to market up even higher to again. And I keep saying this to cut in all these middlemen. Because we don't have that, the margin comes back to a very small amount of people, which is me, <laughs> and then we funnel most of that back into the growth of the company. Right. Yep. Yep. And that's yeah, because I mean, it's you explained it well. I'm gonna have to save this this uh, podcast as reference because every t- not every time, but a lot of times I post stuff, I I get, hey, do you think? do you think Ben would be interested in carrying and having our store carry his products? I'm like, Nope, probably not. Probably not. And, and here's the reason why. So, <laughs> so stores, so stores have a margin that they are encouraged to hit. So if you're looking at a big chain store, like a GNC or a vitamin shop, very traditionally, they're not only operating on a very distinct margin, but they also offer kickbacks to their sales reps. So, you know, they're expecting to make at least 50% margin on a product. And then every time a sales rep sells one, that sales rep might get five bucks. So of course they're driven to move huge amounts of product because there's profit there. I can't even make a product for what the store would want to buy it for. Right. (laughs) And so then, so let's say I market up, you know, a whopping $3 and I sell them my product. They're not going to be able to sell it for any higher than I sell it for on my site, because otherwise people are going to come to my site, right? So our products might be worth $60, but I only sell them for 48 because I don't have to worry about this store or the sales rep. So if I sell it to a store and, you know, at a three to $5 markup, I don't make that much of a return back that I can't invest all that much into the company and grow my own company and release new products and release new flavors and do all the things that we've been able to do. Then that store wants me to sell the products for 60 so that they can sell them for $45 and consumers are encouraged to go to the store instead of go to me. Well, I'm not going to raise my price so that a store can sell more products and profit for them that doesn't affect me at all and it ultimately harms the consumer. So the whole situation kind of doesn't make any sense for me to even pursue. Yeah. The only way that it would make sense is would be uh, something like an international market where shipping and customs fees and all that and, and exchange rates ultimately make it uh, less affordable for a consumer to buy our products off of our website versus, uh, you know, if I sent 500 units of a product to the United Kingdom and then some distributor out there sold it to people, it, that might work. 
we can't do that right now because we are growing so much and investing so much into expansion of our own line that I can't um, save 500 units of a product to ship over there you know, at a $5 markup. Cause yeah, I may make some profit back, but that's a huge amount of inventory gone. That's a huge amount of capital investment on my end gone for a very paltry return in a market that is 2% of my gross sales. Right. Maybe. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Now if I had the, if I had extra money and I had extra product that, and I was just sitting on it, I could absolutely do that. Absolutely. And maybe we will get there. Maybe we will in the next year or two years. Um, if an international distributor or store wanted to come in and let's say prepay for their own batch of products, that would make it possible because they're essentially giving me the capital to create the product just for them that it doesn't affect my capital, doesn't affect my, you know, my inventory. And then they get their own good guaranteed to them on their own time schedule. That's kind of the only way that I think that we could do it, you know, anytime soon. Yeah. And there's, with all the new products and stuff that are potentially coming out or most likely coming out, that's just, that's a lot to handle. That's well, it, and the thing is, is, I mean, we're looking at a custom batch for an international distributor or retailer of one SKU. Okay. Every flavor of an, of even the same product is a different SKU. Right, right now we have, I don't know, 30 or 32 SKUs or something in the next year. I think we're going to have 50 or more. There's no way that our brand is going to be the total brand is going to be international in distribution with the model that I just described. That is such an overwhelming amount of uh, stress and coordination and logistics and money changing hands for a very little return on pretty much everybody's investment. Again, because we make products that are too good that cost too much to make and then we refuse to sell them for a ridiculous markup to the consumer and ultimately that limits our reach with distribution with international sales but i i don't care because we're impacting more people the way that we're doing it and it's helping the company it's helping the consumer and i can sleep at night <laughs> the last one that's my biggest problem if yeah. i was <laughs> if i was just a if I was just a piece of shit and didn't care, man, life would be so much easier. Dude, I <laughs> – and the thing is, like, you and I are are educated, and we put a lot of work into this stuff. And if we really wanted to, we could scam the fuck out of some people. And I just can't, man. I just <laughs> – I just can't. I mean, and, and the thing is, I'm, I'm well known for being transparent and borderline, you know, sort of blunt asshole. And I'm totally cool with that because if somebody comes to me with a question about anything – any ingredient, any dose, any price point, any anything, even a skeptic, I have an answer. I have a I have a reasonably good answer, and the answer is not well. I feel that it's best, or uh, you know, try it. it just trust me, it's going to work, or you know, whatever. If somebody says, "Well, how come you did this?" I have a very specific. Here's a science answer. Here's a business answer. Here's a logistics answer, and then they go, "Huh, that makes sense. I get it now." They go, and I asked another company that, they go, bro, it works. You just got to do it. I'm like, that's a fucking bullshit answer. <laughs> well, that's, that's another thing, too. We can kind of maybe close out with that, I guess, about uh, within the way that things are added to products. Okay, so this is, this is not a huge problem, but it's another problem that I, I see 
kind of often is that now people, the, the whole, okay, we've got, we know the clinical dosing. We want to make a, I don't know, we want to make a, a pre-workout product. Okay, whatever. Now people start just grabbing and throwing in 9 million things, as many clinically dosed ingredients as they possibly can when sometimes that's not necessarily the best. So, you know, the top, top, top shelf companies are, are going to go a step further and they're actually going to have synergy within their ingredients, you know, and, or you, you should. And the thing, right. and I've talked about this on other podcasts and things too. It's like, there's a delicate balance between individual ingredient efficacy and synergy or totality of a formula and dosing matters on an individual basis. And it absolutely matters on a synergy basis. Right. But the thing is, is you can't, so let's say you have five ingredients and they all work at a gram. Okay. Whatever you combine them all. It doesn't mean that you only need to use a hundred milligrams of each. It's more than likely not that case, but at the same time, if you combine them all, if two of them interact oddly, you might need to toggle each one of those down from a gram to half a gram. But overall, everything is still dosed pretty well. Um, whereas the, a majority of the formula should be dosed in that upper end of the clinical range. Absolutely, it should. The only time that you need to worry about any weird uh, interactions are anything that deals with cognitive function and anything that deals with stimulation for the most part. Because at this point, hormonal manipulation outside of the physiological realm is not possible with a legal product. So there's no legal prohormones, there's no legal SARMs, there's no legal this and that and this and that that have a uh, super physiological effect on your hormone levels. So you can take a testosterone booster, a cortisol reducer, all these things, and for the most part, you can't fuck yourself up with them unless you're using something that creates a super physiological change that has potential gray area legality, or frankly, it's just not legal and people don't care because they're flying under the radar. SARMs is a huge example of that. They're not legal. We know they're not legal. We know that the regulations on them are sketchy at best. We know that a lot of products have been independently tested to not even contain SARMs. They contain steroids. But... Right. So then if you, you know, the synergy of something like that would totally fuck somebody up. But if we're looking at citrulline, creatine, beta-alanine, betaine, pico-2, tyrosine, you know, that kind of stuff, put them all in at their fucking clinical doses, the top of the clinical dose. If we're talking uh, five different stimulants in a blend, first of all, you need to ask why you need all five. And there might be a good reason, but the company should be able to answer that reason. And then you need to look at... Uh, Again, the totality of that. One of a good example is caffeine. So we have caffeine in uh, our pre-workout alpha gym. And the research on caffeine actually supports for performance, for endurance, for power output, uh, relatively high doses. I mean, higher doses than people even realize. We have a much lower dose of pure caffeine in our product. But that's because we have two other ingredients that are very caffeine-like in their actions. They bind to the same receptor. They have similar effects in the body. And the totality of all of those together uh, kind of equals like a 400 milligram caffeine dose instead of 200. And 400 is really, really good. If somebody were to arbitrarily look at the label and go, well, the caffeine by itself should be at 400 and then these other ones should be higher, you add all that up and now you're going to make somebody vomit. So that's when uh, you know, the full clinical dose needs to be bent a little bit. But there needs to be rationale behind it. Companies that are arbitrarily saying, 
that it doesn't matter what the dose is because of synergy, but they don't have a logical response to that, I, it's irresponsible. And right. it's and it's shitty. I mean. Right. That's more or less what I was getting at in terms of synergy is also not not over uh, overlap within the ingredients too, especially in its, mo your, your example was perfect because it's most commonly going to be with stimulants. Yep. It's just because now you have caffeine, but there's so many other designer stimulants and analogs and different things that hit the same receptor at different speeds um, that, yeah, I mean, you could just jack someone up on 800 milligrams of total, of total caffeine or xanthan like, you know, stimulants and yep. they would know it. Well, I mean, look at all the, look at all the beta agonists. I mean, yeah, you have, and some of them are starting to get banned and pseudo legal, but it's like you have several different versions of synephrine. You have, you have uh, ephedra alkaloids, you have phygenamine, you have, uh, I mean, all these, you know, N-methyltyramine, and you have all these different phenylethylamine derivatives and all these different things. And companies will put like 10 of them in a product. Right. <laughs> and, and they're all dosed pretty high. Like, you're going to fuck somebody up and right. not only that, but the whole point of those things is to increase performance. Performance increases on a bell curve. So as you increase the dose, performance goes up. Once you get to a threshold of dose, performance actually starts to decrease. If you keep adding dose to that stimulants are a prime example of that. It's even worse when you see a company do that and they hide all that in a proprietary blend. Why on earth would you take a product that has a hidden blend of stimulants that you have no idea how much is in there. I mean, laughably irresponsible and dangerous. Laughably. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. You're right. And you can, <laughs> and if you survive the first one, you're not going to take it very many times because your, uh, your, your adrenal glands are going to be pretty smoked after about <laughs> a week. You know, yeah. there's, there's one company, there's a newer company that's been out and getting a lot of steam. And they have a pre-workout that's got a huge list of all these ambiguous, potentially, you know, not legal stimulants and things, all these different chemical names in a hidden blend. So that's a big red flag. Then you have an incredibly huge dose of an ingredient called Kana. And Kana is an herb which yep. has uh, anti-anxiolytic properties, amongst some other things. But Kana is an SRI. So it's a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And dosing in research shows between 25 and 50 milligrams, depending on the yield of extract that you use, to be an effective dose. This company puts 1,000 milligrams in the product. So they're putting effectively, you know, 25 to 50 times the dose of a serotonin reuptake inhibitor in a pre-workout with a hidden dose of 10 different stimulants. They're, what, they're could, just, what could yeah. Austin? What could possibly go wrong here? Well, I mean, I mean, you're I gonna mean, be you're gonna be high as fuck for about three hours. You're gonna be high. You're gonna potentially have uh, <laughs> illness. I I've spoken to people and read reports of people giving themselves mild serotonin syndrome from this and having to be hospitalized, or it inducing severe vomiting because of serotonin receptors in the gut. Uh, that I mean, it, that would be like taking. Uh, you know, several Adderall with several Prozac all at the same time. Yep. And then going to the gym and trying to do some squats. Like, r ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yep. Yeah, that's, and, yeah. When you start messing with, like you said, when you start messing with ingredients that uh, impact cognitive function, especially neurotransmitters like that, you need to know what the hell you're taking because it, it adds. It's gotten to the point where, 
it's like what product people want the product that's going to make them the most tweaked out for whatever amount of time when it really adds no performance benefit and in fact in fact it's probably going to make you train worse because you it harms oh it's that bell curve it harms your performance yeah the thing is that cracked out feeling that's a marketing thing that's a yep. stigma that's something that goes to a population that is swayed by the belief that this is beneficial and those tend to be a less educated on the topic you know of this uh consumer and you know man, I was cracked out and super tingly and super this and super this. Like, bro, you are an emotionally driven consumer. You are a prime target for a mediocre, emotionally driven marketing campaign, uh, you know, with middle of the ground, you know, middle of the road product at best. Um, when you're ready to step up to the next level of education and effectiveness, I will be here. <laughs> but I, but, but I can't, I mean, I can't force them to join the takeover. You know what I mean? Like they got to learn and it's usually young, it's usually young college guys. I mean, those, that's who those things are marketed for. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, because you, it's, it's just like everything else. I mean, it's happened in the energy drink industry and you know, everything, it, people just want that. They just want a feeling people are well, <laughs> our society. <laughs> we're, we have a society of a, bunch of drug addicts really everyone you know and, the, and the, here's the thing like, <laughs> i'm all about i'm all about supplements drugs medication in the in the right context to enhance your life sure without, without ruining your life uh medicine and technology and all the and you know novel science it improves our life and it, i would be naive to say otherwise but it has created a uh, this whole generation of people, like you said, they're drug addicts, and they they want more and more and more and more of these things, thinking that this is the answer. And I'm all for, again, all for adding things as you need to make something better, to make your life better, to make your health better, to make your performance better, what have you. But there comes a point in time when it's excessive and dangerous, and that's what some of these companies are doing with their products. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So. Yeah. You, but, but again, I mean, you, it's, you're not going to be able to a lot, like you said, a lot of the product ingredients and stuff, they will get banned and so on and so forth. But you know, there's always going to be the companies that they'll, they'll put them in the products as long as they can might be six months, you know, might be one batch whatever you know oh, yeah it's, it's it's happened it's happened since the dawn of time if there's anything that people really really want that's really gray area that makes you feel good or, or whatever or it's hormonal or whatever i mean people are people are inevitably going to put it in their products for a short period of time as long mm -hmm. as they can make as much money as they can and then you know hopefully they don't get hopefully the dea doesn't raid their warehouse you know and uh <laughs> if they're lucky they can yeah. get out scot-free but you know. i mean you talked about i mean early on you talked about you know the integrity of other people in the industry and why somebody would trust those people i mean look at some of these big companies that are run by these guys that have been to prison and have indictments multiple indictments <laughs> not even just like indictments of like putting steroids in products or distribution of illegal goods i, I mean things like money laundering and 
fraud and embezzlement and all these things like where the fuck are you buying products for these people like what makes you think that what you're buying is good for you if this person is a piece of shit and they're scamming everybody <laughs> it's like use your brain use your brain don't do that yeah yeah you, you're right and it's and you know and they'll they'll something will happen and they'll, they'll lay low for a little bit and gain everyone's trust again then they'll fuck up again <laughs> Like, it's like, come on, people, you got to stop, stop supporting them. Yeah. yeah. You know what? There's all, I mean, there's always going to be snake oil salesmen and there's always going to be people that believe them and are oblivious to the truth. And it is what it is. And it's sad, but you know, you can't reach everybody. And that's why our mission as a company is to educate and provide uh, transparency and clinical dosing that's at the upper end of things and that's you know backed by evidence and you know it's not it's not my opinion i don't I if somebody challenges a product i don't have to say what's well, my opinion that it's better i can literally look at a piece of paper with ed, you know evidence and dosing and synergy of ingredients say here's what we know to be right here's what's in my label notice how they match there's no reason to buy from somebody else if mine lines up with the truth I don't right. have to lie. I don't have to have opinions. I don't have to have emotions or feelings about the topic. Here is the good. Here's why it matches up with what is true. I don't know what else to tell you. Does what, one more thing on that uh, that I wanted to ask was just your take on um, in terms of like third party testing and just kind of, and I asked that because, you know, People want to know what's in a product, but I think that some companies are saying that their products are third-party verified or third-party tested, or they are clinically or whatever. They're using some catchwords in there that are deceiving. Yes, or it's it's maybe kind of true, but it's kind of but it's kind of more of just a um, something to throw on the label to make it more appealing. Of course, of course, and I would say that there tends to be a trend of companies doing this and I would err on the side of believing them seeing what I'm seeing on the label and hearing what I'm hearing behind the scenes. But uh, if that's, if that's a huge part of their marketing campaign, so let's say a company comes out and on everything, third party tested, third party tested, third party tested, we have it on our website. It's available, blah, 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 blah. I've gone to those websites and I look for it and it's nowhere to be found. Or they have it for like two of their products and I click on it and it's not a third party test. It's a test done by the manufacturer who made the product, which I'll be the first to admit is still better than nothing. And it still might be good. It might be very good. It might be totally accurate and credible. But if, you're, if your primary marketing campaign is third party tested, that means it's not the manufacturer of the, of the actual product testing the product. It's another company. Right. And if you're, and if that's a marketing point and you're telling everybody that you have this information, but it's nowhere on your website, something's not right. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, that's... and here's the thing. So like, so we third party test, we don't have a ton of that information readily available. And that's part of my goal leading into the next year is to have a lot more of that available. But 
we also don't go around telling everybody that every batch of every product and every single raw ingredient gets third-party tested every single time something is manufactured because that's just not a practicality of the entire industry. There's no way that a company could do business and do that much third-party testing because they wouldn't be able to make the product. I mean, it would add thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to every single batch that they make, and that's not practical. So what we do is we look at quality of the manufacturer. Are they GMP certified? Are they FDA registered? That is a, you know, a huge check mark right there. Then we look at individual COAs for every single raw material. And if those line up, then we do third-party testing on an initial batch of a, you know, let's say a new product. And we run it on either the whole formula or uh, parts of the formula that we want to make sure are not skimped on in the formula from a safety standpoint, from an uh, efficacy standpoint, from a, an ethical standpoint. And then from there, we have the, enough information that it's a trustworthy situation. Any company that's coming out and saying that every single thing, all the time is third-party tested, uh, is probably not telling the truth. I'll just say that. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Because like you said, I mean, I have no idea what it costs to get something third-party tested. But I could see, I could... Totally. I mean, it seems fathomable that they they get a new product or a new ingredient or like a new manufacturer or something and they want to test a batch and then maybe periodically they do it or something. Absolutely. But, but you not every single skid that comes in of a product, just because you, you tested it last month, you don't need to get this month's order tested type of thing. Correct. Yeah. And the thing is, is, and here's the thing, and in theory, a company could test the first batch and then switch manufacturers and start making garbage and sell it. And the consumer would have no idea. And that might happen sometimes. I have no idea. It probably happened more in the past and it had less to do with third party testing and a lot more to do with, they would make a badass formula. People would love the formula. Then they'd bait and switch and create a shittier formula without telling the consumer and then rake in the dough. Uh, companies were really guilty of that stuff like 10 years ago, really guilty of doing that. So I'd say that there's a lot less of that going on now. But again, if the selling point overwhelmingly is purity and quality and the information doesn't line up, uh, you know, it's questionable. Right. It's potentially questionable. I don't know. Right. I would never say anything ill about that situation. It's just, I, I would never go around telling every single person that about every single thing we do and then not provide all that information. I mean, that's, it doesn't match. It doesn't line up. Right. It's kind of like, it's, and it, this is a kind of a different example, but it's kind of like if I'm, since I post tons of information online, I will not post anything unless I know if someone wants to come on and argue with me that I can back it up type of thing correct. yeah correct. Uh, i mean it's like it's like yeah. why would you spew this opinion and then have somebody you know randomly challenge you and then you duck out right yeah because that's we also live in that unfortunately we live in kind of a weird time with technology too that anything can be spread around extremely quickly you know what i mean correct. so you don't want to go spew something out and then some jackass screenshot you heaven forbid and then all hell breaks loose. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it sounds funny, but it's like <laughs> that kind of stuff happens. I mean, you get stuff everyone knows within five minutes. Yep. You know what I mean? So <laughs> you just have to keep keep your nose clean. 
for sure. Absolutely. And don't make, don't make ridiculous claims and don't right. speak beyond what you can show. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, so. yeah, that's great, man. I appreciate you coming on. Um, we're coming up on time here, but yeah, I mean, we could, we could talk for five more hours about all kinds of shit. You yeah. Know, and, well, and let's do this again and talk about something fun, funny and lighthearted. So people don't think it's just, uh, you know, <laughs> Look at all this shitty stuff in the industry. Because, I mean, there is so much There is so much good going on. There's so much good in the industry. There's so many people that are changing the game, both with supplements and nutrition and coaching and training. For sure. And innovation. And it's, and it's incredible. And it's a really cool time to be in it. And, like I said, you know, as the pie gets bigger, there's going to be more charlatans, you know, more snake oil people. But there's also going to be more good people, too. So that's, that's a really cool, you know, piece of that puzzle to be in. No, I agree. Yeah, we don't. We're not. Uh, we're not totally negative on here. We try to. We try no, to. No, I know. I'm just. I'm joking with you. <laughs> <laughs> next time, next time when Joe's feeling better, if we get you back on, he, uh, we can have his English accent sprinkle in some sarcastic humor for us. Oh, well. I love. I love sarcasm. So Let's fucking do it. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Uh, plug. Go ahead and plug yourself. Oh God, I hate doing that. Uh, I'll do it anyhow. Fuck. All right, so uh, let's see. So social media, Facebook is Ben Hartman or Morpho Gen Nutrition. So Morpho and Gen, Morpho with an O, it means creation of change or create your change. So it's Morpho Gen Nutrition is the name of the brand. Uh, the website is either morphogennutrition.com or mntakeover.com because we say join the takeover. MN Takeover is much more user-friendly. We have at Ben on Instagram, uh, Ben Hartman on Facebook, if you go to our website, my email's right there. You can always email me. You can hit me up on, especially on Instagram or Facebook, shoot me a DM and, you know, ask me questions about whatever. I'm really, really good about getting back to people pretty quick and, uh, you know, giving them an answer, giving them a detailed personal answer from me. So hit me up. Let me know what's up. Um, I love it. So. Sweet. That's perfect. Thank you, man. And uh, send, send nudes. No, I don't know. Yeah. Well, you, uh, <laughs> You also accept payment through uh, via sexual favors, I heard. Of course, yeah. I'm not dick sure. Picks, uh, yeah, dick pics and flogging. And, yeah. Uh, I can't yeah. confirm. I can't confirm personally, but that's just what I've heard. And uh, I'm sure there's plenty of rumors out there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, on that note, we will uh, wrap it up here, guys. Make sure you check out the sponsors, and we'll talk to you guys next time.